I, I always miss not being here. You know, I love the ministry the Lord has given to me, and I love the traveling and getting to see the saints in different places, but I always just love being here with all of you. And so, uh, <laughs> and I thank you, John. I, I, I do enjoy just the fellowship that I so richly miss when I'm away from you all. So again, thank you for your love, for your for your support of our ministry over the many years, and uh, I just rejoice that I can be here one more Sunday to be with you. It was really kind of unfair of Greg to sing all those songs, because when you get old, you get confused easily. I don't know where I am right now. <laughs> I don't know what month I am in right now. But uh, pray for Joyce. I, I'm hoping that she's watching via Zoom. She had a migraine all night last night, and she didn't get much sleep last night. So pray for her. It's it's hard because uh, you know she we had a solution for so long, and then the insurance came in and tried to started changing all her meds around, and now she's really struggling again with migraine. So just be praying for her, particularly today. Today, when she's not with me, I feel like I'm missing the vital part of me, you know. And so um, just be praying for her. Turn with me again to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to be, be reading again these words that we all know very well. Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll begin reading at verse 10 again, as we did la the last time I was here. It says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the trickery of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness. In the heavenly places, therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his word. Father, again, as we approach this sacred text, we pray, Lord, that you would again, by thy Spirit, lead and direct and teach us. And may it be for the exaltation of thy Son, and may it be for your glory. So, Father, speak to us today, we pray, through your word. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you ever find yourself discouraged and frustrated in your walk with the Lord? Do you ever find yourself frustrated and discouraged in your walk with the Lord? Do you sometimes feel just empty inside when you know there should be a fullness there and yet you feel empty 
inside. Disenchanted, perhaps. And perhaps you even feel a bit cynical sometimes in your walk with the Lord. How is it that I messed up again? How is it that I messed up again? Is his long-suffering growing thin with me? Is his patience growing thin with me? Have I, have we disappointed him yet again? Yet again in our lives. Have we disappointed him again? And do we once again drop our swords and cry for just a while? Are we those who struggle, aching inside, because we feel that once again we have let him down? Once again, we have failed the one who loves us. When we read of the armor of God here, we often think that we have all these resources available to us and yet fail to appropriate them into our lives. What does Paul have in mind here? What does Paul have in mind? We mentioned the last time in our last message, if I'm not mistaken, I can't remember sometimes what I say and where I say it. But we... Look at this armor that God has given. And we begin to imagine that he is using this, uh, he's using this as an analogy, and he's looking at a Roman soldier, and he's seeing a Roman soldier that he's perhaps being guarded by. And he begins to make this analogy of the armor. But I think Paul the great apostle, his thinking goes differently. If you remember Paul very often in the Acts and through his epistles will quote Scripture as his proof text. He will quote, quote Scripture. And one of his fa favorite portions to quote from is from the great prophet Isaiah. And he will quote often from Isaiah. You will find him quoting from Isaiah in, in the book of Acts. You'll find him quoting from Isaiah in Romans. You'll find him quoting from Isaiah in Corinthians and in Galatians and in other portions as well. He also quotes, of course, from other books of the, of the Old Testament because that is his scripture. That is his scripture. That is where he learned who God is. That is where he had been taught concerning the things of God. And he is a scholar. And so when Paul begins to make this description of the armor of God, his mind is not so much going to that Roman soldier that is standing there. Oh, perhaps that stirred his thinking. Perhaps that stirred his thinking. I, I can't say for sure. But when he goes and begins to make this analogy, Concerning the armor of God, this great scholar goes back to the prophet Isaiah. He goes back to the prophet Isaiah once again. 
And when he says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. When he says that we are to stand our ground, hold our ground against the wires and the trickery of the devil. As we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but our wrestling, our battle, our wars against principalities and powers, against rulers of this present darkness, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. When he thinks of these things, he goes to the armor of God as that by which you will stand. And his mind goes, I believe, back to Isaiah 59. Turn there with me, if you will, to Isaiah chapter 59. And you'll want to hold your finger in Isaiah as we work through some of these things because we'll be returning to Isaiah 59. In Isaiah 59, we have this horrible account. We recognize that Israel has separated themselves from God, that their sins are great, and they have not repented. God is getting ready to, to execute judgment against them because they have not turned back to him. They have not repented. And he begins this chapter by saying, Is the Lord's hand shortened that it cannot save? If you will turn to me, I will deliver you. Is my hand shortened that I cannot reach out and still save you despite where you find yourself right now? Is his hand shortened that he cannot save? But Israel has separated themselves from God. They have turned away from the things of God. There is no justice to be found. There is blood on their hands. They have empty words that they speak. Justice is far from them. There's no righteousness in them. The transgressions are multiplied before the Lord. The sins are multiplied against them. And it says in verse, the latter part of verse 15, I'll, I'll read verse 15. So truth fails, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Then the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him. And his own righteousness, it sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, accordingly he will repay fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies, the coastlines he will fully repay. So, they, so shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against them. The Redeemer will come to Zion. And to those who turned from transgressions in Jacob, says the Lord, as for me, says the Lord, this is my covenant with them. My spirit 
who is upon you, and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your descendants, nor from the mouth of your descendants' descendants, says the Lord, from this time and forevermore. The armor of God is his own armor. It is what he says he clothes himself with. This is the armor that God, in metaphor and in, and in uh, analogy, is the one he clothes himself with. You remember in our first lessons, we looked at who we are. Lest we forget who we are and whose we are. And we recognize all that we have and all that we possess because we are found in Christ Jesus. And being in Christ Jesus, the armor that we possess is the same armor that God himself possessed in order to gain in this picture the victory over the enemies of the world. This is the vision, I think, that Paul has in his mind. This is what he's thinking of. He's thinking of the armor that God himself says he has. God is working out salvation. God is working out the salvation of his people by himself. By himself he's doing the work because there were none to do it. And he is still working out his salvation by himself. And you and I have a part in it. And you and I have a part in it. Therefore, we too must be clothed in his armor. That we too should be clothed in his armor. It is his. He finds no one to overcome the injustice in the world. So God himself comes as a warrior. He comes as a redeemer to execute justice against the enemies of Israel. In Ephesians, we have God's redemption being played out on this vast scale against the principalities and powers, against the rulers of this present age, against all the wickedness in the heavenly hosts, and God, who is the one who will accomplish it all himself. As his church in the world, right now, with his armor on, executing his justice in the world. His justice in the world. He is defeating the evil rulers, he is defeating the authorities, he is inaugurating his reign over all the earth. He is the one who is going to reign as king. And if that is so, why is it Paul tells us to put on the armor of God when it is clear from the portion in Isaiah that it's God wearing the armor and doing the conquering? This brings us back to who we are. We are his. We are in Christ Jesus. And when Christ is accomplishing all of what he is accomplishing, we are in him. We are in the Redeemer. We are in the Savior. We are in Christ 
Jesus is who we are in Christ. And we stand upon his merit because we know no other stand. Not even where glory dwells in Emmanuel's land. We are standing, holding our ground in his merit. We're holding our ground, standing and holding our ground in his merit, in what he has done. You remember I said that all of these things in the description of this armor are all things that reflect back to what he told us in chapter 1 of who we are. And now he wants us to appropriate the realities of who we are as individuals and as a church. He's using you and he's using me in this process, in this present darkness. I began by saying, are you discouraged? Are you disheartened? Remember, and we'll see this again if we, time is almost up already. I must have extra time. That he is the one who brings the victory. All your failures, all your discouragement, all your suffering, all the things that you go through, all the disquietness of your heart, all the times you have failed him, just remember None of your salvation depends on that. It depends on the one in whom you've placed your faith and trust. And he will bring you through. It is his armor that we wear. Stand your ground, therefore. The Lord Jesus is the righteous one. He came into the world to redeem it, to redeem the oppressed. He's the one who's meek and lowly at heart, who has given rest to your soul. He wore the belt of truth. In his sojourn here, he's the one that bore and wore the belt of truth and proclaimed it. He said, I am the way, the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. I am the truth. You look at Jesus Christ and you see truth and righteousness and holiness. You look at the Savior and there you find the embodiment of truth. Every word that he speaks is true. I said earlier that he gives a description of himself that he is meek and lowly of heart. And then he has all of these powerful I am's that he uses in metaphor to show who he is. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I am over and over again. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. All of those things he is. And you are in him. Don't forget that. You will become and I will become extremely discouraged if I forget that I am in him. And it doesn't depend on me. It depends on him. It depends on him. Oh, it doesn't mean you won't fail. It doesn't mean you won't be discouraged. It doesn't mean you won't fall down flat in your face from time to time. But we remember whose we are and that he is always, always 
faithful. He is truth, and we have girded ourselves with him, the Lord Jesus. We have girded ourselves with him who is true. He was clothed in the breastplate of righteousness. He was the righteous God for his people. And yet we see on the cross that he paid the price. We see that he took the place of his people. Those who treated him like an enemy, those who treated him like the one whom they would not receive, he died and rose victorious against his enemies. We are righteous today because we have placed our faith and trust in him. We have a breastplate of righteousness like his breastplate of righteousness. It is his, it is ours. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. We are righteous because He is righteous and we are in Him. We walk in truth because He is the truth. And we are in Him. Paul's remedy against Satan and his trickery is this. Christ has already won the war. He's already won the war. The victory is already his. And therefore, my beloved, the victory is already yours. Do you believe that? Deep in the core of your being, do you believe it? The victory is already yours. Because you are in Christ. You are in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The breastplate of righteousness that we find in Ephesians 6.14 is grammatically in, in um, Isaiah 59 linked to the helmet or linked to the, the belt of truth that is around us. Therefore, by faith, stand your ground in the evil one's attempt to destroy his people, one day Christ will return and judge the wicked. Turn over to Isaiah 11. Turn over to Isaiah 11. I'm rushing quite a bit, and I'm sorry for that. I guess that we have a lot of ground to try and cover this morning. In Isaiah 11, in verse 5, it says this, speaking again of the Messiah that would come. He just before this, he spoke about how it was to be a branch that would grow out of its roots, out of the root of David. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Then in verse 5, it says, Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt of his waist. It is a characteristic of our Lord Jesus Christ that that Paul grasps onto. He grasps onto the fact that this is true of the Lord. Righteousness is, is his belt. Faithfulness is his belt. And so it should be ours as well. We should appropriate these truths to our lives as well. Paul offers hope. He offers assurance, peace in the person 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. That same warrior king that you find in Isaiah 59 is the one who is clothed in righteousness. I'm so happy this morning that my righteousness doesn't depend on how well I perform. Aren't you? Are you glad that your righteousness doesn't depend on how well you performed this week or how well you performed this last month? Aren't you glad that your stand, your stand before God does not depend on how well you did this week and that you didn't discourage him this week? So therefore, therefore your righteousness is secure. Your righteousness is secure because you are found in Christ. Sounds so simple. Sounds like that which we have heard a gazillion times in the presence of, of his word and from godly preachers over the years. The breastplate of righteousness. Turn back to Ephesians 6 and we'll move on. Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. This imagery is also taken from Isaiah. As Paul is thinking back of Isaiah chapter 52. I told you to keep your finger there. Go back to Isaiah chapter 52 now. Isaiah chapter 52. When he says in Isaiah chapter 52 and in verse 2. Isaiah chapter 52 verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who bring good news or bring the gospel, who proclaim peace, who bring glad tidings of good things, who proclaim salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Your God reigns. Blessed are the feet who are prepared with the gospel of salvation, who can look ahead and say, your God reigns. Your feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And you have peace with God. And you have the peace of God that can rule in your hearts as we walk by faith and live by faith. And we can exclaim, no matter what is going on in the world, we can exclaim, our God reigns. He still reigns. His plan has not been diverted in any way by the evil of this present age. His purposes have not been diverted in any way by the wickedness of this present age. He reigns. He always has and he always will. And one day, the sun will return and he will reign on this earth first for a thousand years and then forevermore. The Lord Jesus Christ will reign on this earth. Behold, this is your God. Your God reigns. This is the gospel. This is the good news of salvation. Not only salvation from your sins, but salvation and deliverance from this evil world. Your God reigns. 
God's people are under attack. You and I are under attack. We often are. And are in desperate need of the Lord to deliver us. As they were in desperate need of the Lord to deliver them. The Lord himself promises to come to the rescue and delivers. He says in chapter 52 of Isaiah in verse 6, he behold, says, Behold his eye. Here I am. In the midst of all of this, Israel, here I am. Behold, it is I. And in the midst of our trouble and our suffering, in the midst of every trial that comes down your path, the Lord is reaching out and saying the same thing to you. He is saying to you, as you stand firm in this evil day, I am here. Here I am. Behold, I am here. I have not left you alone. The coming Christ had wonderful news for the suffering people. He will reign. He has brought peace. He has brought the good news of happiness, as Isaiah would say. They looked up and they saw him. Your God reigns. And then he goes on explaining this analogy from <clears throat> that he grasps out of the Old Testament. And he says, taking above all, taking the shield of faith with which we will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And I think perhaps here that he, he's going back and remembering Psalm 91. His mind is going back to Psalm 91, verses 4 and 5, and I'll read it for you since our time is gone. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night nor the arrow that flies by day. Do you fear this world? Do you fear what men can do to you? Do you fear being canceled? Do you fear the wokeness of the world? Do you fear all of these things? Do you fear being rejected by friends? What is it that we fear in this world. What is it that we fear? He says, you will not fear the terror of night or the arrow that flies by day because you have a shield and a buckler. You have a shield. And that is faith. That is faith. That is the faith that you possess in Christ. The faith. Hold it up like a shield against the onslaught of the wickedness of this world. Because the enemy is going to try to trip you up, and he's always trying to trip us up. He's always trying to come in with his deceiving ways. And in this wicked world, we see it over and over and over again, the assault on the people of God. But we have a shield. Above all, take that shield of faith. Above all, take that shield of faith wherewith you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one by faith. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Go back with me now again to Isaiah. Hope you kept your finger there. Isaiah chapter 49 this time. Again, I believe that he is going back 
that he is going back to these portions that he knows so well, having studied and memorized so many of them. And Joey was actually in this portion this morning as we were around the table remembering the Lord. In chapter 49, this is again one of the servant songs, four of those great servant songs where the Lord, the Father, describes his son so often in these songs. And here in chapter 49, let's read verse 3. He says in chapter 49, He said to me, You are my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. And then I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and in vain. Yet surely my just reward is, my just reward is with the Lord and my work is in Him. Verse 1. Listen, O coastlands, to me, and take heed, you people from afar. The Lord has called me from the womb, from the matrix of my mother. He has made mention of my name. He has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he has hidden me. He has made me a polished shaft. In his quiver, he has hidden me. This is the description now of the Lord Jesus describing who he is. He has made my mouth like a sharp sword. He has made my mouth like a sharp sword. And Paul goes back to that imagery, remembering that he, the Savior, would be that one which would have a sharp sword. Remember from Revelation that his tongue is like a two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. He is exercising, executing justice and righteousness. And he uses that sword to defeat the enemies of Israel, as it were fighting and defeating the enemies of Israel. His mouth is like a sharp sword. We remember, we remember that the Lord, I mean that we are told that his word is like a two-edged sword. It's piercing even to the dividing of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. He, his word which is the next part in Isaiah 6. And I'm sorry, I've gone way over. I've gone way over. But we were singing Christmas songs. And we got carried away in, in Christmas songs. But he says here, take the helmet of salvation, which is yours, which is God, salvation that he has given to you, Isaiah 59. The sword of the Spirit, which is his sword, his word. His holy word that is sharper than any two-edged sword that pierces to the dividing of soul. Joint to marrow. It goes right to the heart. Right to the innermost part of your being. It is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. We can, we can look at the how what kind of sword this was, which kind of sword it was. But I think that is unimportant here. The important thing is that it's his sword. It's his sword. It's what he has given you. It's his. All the armor is his. And Paul reflects on the Old Testament to see that all of this that you possess is not because you built it. It's not because you went to the forge and forged it. It's not because you went and, and beat on the anvil and made a good sword for yourself. It is all that God has given to you. 
It's what you possess. And now he calls on us to stand your ground in this world with all that I have given to you. All that I have given to you, stand your ground. And then he adds this. It's almost like a little side note. And, and I, I hate to say it that way, but it's almost like a little side note. Because he gets through with this description. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray always. Pray always. You have this, which God has given to you. But don't think you're going to go out now and do it on your own power. Pray. With all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, pray and ask the Lord to give you the strength that is the strength in His might that we may walk in this world for His glory and for His honor. One day, one day, this will all be over. One day it will all be done. And the words of it is finished will be completed. We know the atonement has been completed. The finished work of Christ is completed. But the finished plan of God has not yet come to fruition. But we know that one day all of it will be finished. And on that day, on that day, it is your fervent desire, I hope, as it is my fervent desire, that I may hear him say, well done, well done. All that I gave to you for life and godliness, you appropriated. Oh, you failed miserably over and over again. He won't say that. Because my sins are already forgiven. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Will I hear those words? I don't know. But I long to. I long to. And I hope your longing is the same. Go, my brothers and sisters, in the power of the Lord. Go in the strength of his might. Go with his armor on against the wickedness of this present age. And pray. Pray. Father, we give you thanks for your wonderful word and for the strength that we get from it. We pray that your spirit might be working and stirring in our hearts that we might desire to walk in ways that are worthy of the calling with which we have been called. But Father, we also take great confidence in knowing that all that we possess never depends on who we have or what we have done, but whose we are. You have bought us with a price. Our names are engraved, as it were, on your hands. And you will never forget us. And you will never leave us. And you will never forsake us. Even through all of these days, until the consummation of this age, we pray with John, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, later.